Welcome to the Fitness and Color Podcast, where we follow and highlight the experiences of people of color in the wellness and fitness industry, telling their stories in their own words. everybody welcome to the fitness and color podcast i'm your host sid baptista super excited to have you with me today because i have a very special episode which we recorded live from the boston marathon uh virtual expo and i'm super excited because i had a very candid discussion with three panelists uh, that i invited on um, dominique burton of run girl uh elise lash of uh, pioneers run crew and then Jarek Walker, who was formerly uh, for, worked for Nike Running, and is now with the NFL. Um, and we got to to tackle some um, to tackle a, a pretty uh, big topic and answer some questions around like how the sport has grown in communities of color, specifically the Black community, um, in the past like f- six years. The stigmas associated with running in communities of color um, is, and I, the big question that I have is: is running accessible? for communities of color um, and how we can continue to use our platform, our separate platforms, our collective platforms as runners to to diversify the running community. Two quick notes before we get started. The first is the audio from this episode was recorded using a virtual platform uh, that we use to conduct the the panel. So the audio, please bear with us. Second is please check out www.morethanarun.org uh, because we are hosting a fundraiser uh, virtual 5K that I would love for you to check out, morethanarun.org. And we're super excited uh, to be included on the global stage that is the Boston Marathon. Uh, and I think it's so, so important that our perspective is being shared um, with the larger running community. And I love how each of my panelists bring unique perspectives and experiences to the topics and even like to the same questions. Um, so enjoy it. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. We are live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the main stage of the BAA. My name is Sidney Baptista, host of the Fitness in Color podcast, also founder of Pioneers Run Crew here locally in Boston. I have my, uh, my guest here who I'm going to introduce, introduce one, uh, one by one. First, we have Dominique Burton, who is the co-founder and chief experience officer at Run Girl a digital media platform focused on black women's wellness through running. Run Girl aims to change what it means and looks like to be a distance runner. Through running, Nika has found an opportunity to dig deeper into her passion of connecting with others and creating community through health and wellness. Dominique is a change agent in the criminal justice space, working with stakeholders to enhance and promote nationwide policies that directly affect marginalized communities. What's good, Dominique? Hey. Next, we have Elise Lash, who is a leader and captain of Pioneers Run Crew, Boston's most diverse running community. Professionally, Elise is a proud licensed clinical social worker who is passionate about making holistic wellness accessible to communities of color. She, she currently works as the lead youth program, program social worker at the Brigham Women's Hospital and provides non-traditional mental health support for youth and young adults who attend Boston Public Schools. Hey, Elise. Hey. Last but not least, we have Jarek Walker, who is a first-generation Jamaican born and raised in Boston. He spent five years at Nike helping to build support, helping to build and support the local running communities, first in Boston and more recently in Los Angeles. 
Jarek is a brand marketer who worked at Nike for six years before leaving last year and joining the NFL to be, to be on their entertainment marketing team. Jarek has been at the forefront of the growth of the sport. Hey, Jarek. What's happening? So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us here at the BAA uh, Boston Marathon Virtual Expo. So happy to have each of you here today. Um, first, I'm going to get started um, with a simple question. What got you into running um, and what led you to become a leader in the space? I'm going to start off with uh, Dominique. Absolutely. So I first started running in 2014. I was looking for a group of friends that kind of looked like me um, and was doing something active. Um, I'm a swimmer, so I was swimming, but I wanted to do and try something different. Um, so I found a run crew um, in DC um, that vastly became my friends and um, started hanging out with them often. Um, the deeper I got into running, the more competitive I got, uh, the more races I ran and marathons and half marathons, I realized that there were a ton of people that didn't really look like me. There weren't a lot of resources that I was looking for. Um, and so myself and five other women created Run Girl um, to be able to be that resource for others, for other black women especially. Awesome. Um, Elise, what got you into running and what led you to become a leader in this space? Yeah, so I, I sort of was bred to be a runner. Um, both of my parents are runners. My dad was an all-American athlete. Um, when I was born, I started running around the track when I was like three years old. Um, and when I was younger, I used to compete and do sprints and, and track and field um, for like most of my early childhood. Every day, like six days a week, we were training at a pretty competitive level. And then I quit running when I was like 15 to play soccer because that's what all my friends were doing. And my dad was a little heartbroken. Sorry, dad, um, because we were on a trajectory to run in the Olympics and, and had kind of set up a lot of our experience just to be really fast, to be really uh, disciplined as runners. And so I put that aside, kind of retired when I was like in high school. I was like, nope, I'm going to play soccer with my friends. And then I kind of kept running up very loosely in high school and college. I would like go for a run just to like get exercise and to kind of clear my mind and always found it as a therapeutic outlet for myself. And then mm -hmm. I never got into long distance running until I moved to Boston four years ago. Um, and so I was invited to come to the very brand new version of Pioneers Run Crew that Sid founded. And I was a little reluctant because I was like, I don't know about running distance. Like my, the 400 meter was my race, like one quarter of one mile, that's far enough, like I'm good. Um, but sure enough, like I just got, looped into the community. It was contagious. It was really amazing. Like Dominique shared to see and, and surround yourself with people who, who look like you and who also are interested in diversifying the running community. And at the time, this is just four years ago, I didn't know much about diversity in long distance running. I just always saw it as like a white sport that white people do like hockey or skiing or something. <laughs> um, but I was really blown away to kind of see this uh, kind of counter for when I pictured my sprinting community to be a lot of people who look like me, a lot of people of color, um, but not so much the long distance crowd. So um, when I joined Pioneers, uh, I fell in love right away. The community was so welcoming, so amazing and supportive of each other. Um, and then shortly afterwards is when Sid invited me to be on the captain's team, which was like a huge honor. Cause I was like me, like, I'm still learning what this is. Like, I don't know about all this. Um, but it's been so cool to watch, watch the team grow. And I'm sure we'll have some chances to share more about 
my impact and influence in that later. But um, yeah, I, I stuck around. I kind of teased that I drank the Kool-Aid of pioneers <laughs> and they got me going and I'm still here and I love it. That's awesome. Uh, and Jarek, what got you into running and uh, drove to become a leader? Yeah, uh, very, very different from Elise. I was not bred to be a runner. I was a football player. And so running had always been punishment. It's funny, literally today, I was actually telling a story about when I got tested for uh, my fitness test in like middle school or high school. And, you know, I took so long to finish the mile that they just drew a line next to my name because I just I didn't do it in a lot of time. So running was just not at all a thing that I had ever envision myself doing um I, I was on the track team for a day and i was like no this isn't it for me and so you know fast forward uh it was 2013 uh, i was working at the nike store and i actually kind of i just got into a breakup i had a breakup and was looking for you know new ways to occupy my mind and uh i kind of fell into it where you know they asked me to come out to run and i remember the first run that i had ever like officially done was this um, just, you know, a short three mile run around Newberry. And I won't say short because it didn't feel short. It was a struggle, but I, I caught the runners high after that, you know, first experience. And the next time I ran, it was uh, Heartbreak Hill for five miles. And I stopped running after that. Because <laughs> I was like, that was what? your second run? That yeah, was your second run? Yeah, I was like, who did this? Why would you do this to me? Um, and I was like, you know, they almost had me. And then I probably took, you know, a good chunk of time off. And uh, while at the Nike store, they, they closed and they reopened. And when they reopened, they talked about wanting to have this run club. And uh, I had no uh, intention of having any parts of that. And someone came up to me because they had heard that I run literally because they heard about those two runs that I ran <laughs> and they were like, Oh my goodness, do you want to be a pacer? Like I heard you're a runner. And I was like, what's a first, what's a pacer. And I was like, second, I'm not a runner. I don't know who told you that. And, and it was interesting. It was almost like a movie moment um, where, you know, they're, they're talking and they're kind of explaining it. And I'm literally, I don't even think I was hearing them anymore. I was in my own head thinking to myself, maybe this is an opportunity that I should, you know, take and 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 see you know where it goes and i just said yes uh and so you know in running you know i, I paced a two mile group and so everyone that ran in that two mile group was either newer to running or you know not necessarily super fast and so uh you know i still have my my football fitness and so i was able to hold my own there but uh you know, eventually they got rid of the two mile and it was just a three and a five mile options. And that kind of forced me to have to run on my own because I couldn't keep up with the people that were running. It was, you know, a very small difference, two miles versus three. But mentally, I was like, three miles is so much. I can't do this. And I would always stop or I'm supposed to be leading the group. But I'd be like, you know what? You go that way and I'll meet you back at the end. <laughs> you know, like I just couldn't keep up. And, uh, you know, that I just kept. I kept sticking to it and I, you know, I, I saw a lot of different benefits and the community was the biggest one for me, uh, but then also mental health where I just felt like the best version of myself, especially after completing a run and seeing what it was doing for the people that were showing up was something that was special for me and, and something that I wanted to be a part of. I've always wanted to be uh, you know, in the business of helping people in some way. And I felt that just by being a leader of this group, 
uh, people kind of looked to me for inspiration and guidance when it came to runs. And, and for me as a football player that hated running, I was always trying to look for innovative ways to make it just more attainable or something that, you know, isn't, isn't as scary and, you know, trying not to, you know, I didn't look like the, the super lean runner that can run, you know, a five minute mile, uh, you know, I was, a, I was a bigger guy, but then also I'm just a clown. And so uh, more and more people were coming to this, this group. And uh, for me, I just, I, I always, I saw running as a outlet to help more and more people. And that was something that I just always wanted to be a part of. And so in Boston and LA, I've just always found myself gravitating to these groups and trying to help, help them kind of take it to the next level or help bring in more people into the fold because running changed my life. And I know that it can change a lot of other people's lives. And that's kind of how it all went down for me. Awesome. Um, awesome. So um, being that this conversation is about um, how running can be used um, to inspire social change. Um, I want to kind of get, in, I want to kind of get started at the beginning of how running has grown in the past six to eight years. I know Dominic, you've been in, in running just as long as Derek. So 2014, it sounds like you both started. So um, I wanted to start with, so going back to Dominique, how have you seen the sport grow in the last six to eight years um, since you've joined? Yeah, so a ton of more runners are, are definitely taking the pavement. Um, we see that in run crews across the country, uh, all over the world in terms of their numbers alone, but also because of those numbers growing, the conversations are also changing. So the conversations we're having today are not conversations we were having before, especially, you know, I'm gonna keep preaching, especially for black women wellness. Um, we weren't talking about some of the things that affected, affected us and allowing those spaces to be there, allowing our stories to be seen, heard, celebrated, um, and so just that alone, that is a huge change that has been happening, um, especially over the last maybe one or two years alone. Um, but just seeing those numbers go and then being able to, again, see yourself being represented is, is helping that growth. Um, if I see somebody who looks like me or somebody with my hair type, you know, doing something and showing me that this can be done, then I'm going to do it too. Or it's going to just motivate me to want to do it as well. Um, and so that's how I've personally seen it. Um, here locally in DC, as well in you know in other communities as well. Nice. I'm gonna actually hop on that and say that the reason why I got into running was because Jarek. I had met Jarek recently, right before he started it, and I saw, you know, a person of color leading a running group, and I was like, man, maybe I can do this. So mm -hmm. I went, and and so the reason why I got into running distance, my my story is similar to Lisa's, where I grew up as a sprinter. Um, and I never ran more than, than a lap. But when I saw Jarek leading this running group, and I was like, this is cool. This is something I can do. I, this is something I think I can do. Um, so for me, I definitely connect to that and, and see how, how important that is. Um, and going to Jarek quickly, um, you being in Boston and then going to LA, have you, how have you seen the sport grow? And how have you seen it maybe change in the different demographics in the different cities? Um, touch a bit about, upon that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. First, you know, and in, in to talk about the growth, uh, having started in, in 2013, 2014, and seeing that there, you know, it was, there was always a thing that there weren't a lot of these diverse uh, groups of runners, you just didn't really see it. But over time, more and more popped up. But what was also special was that I almost felt that everyone was connected in some way, shape or form. So 
you know, people in New York were connected to people in DC, connected to people in Boston, connected to people in LA, London, Toronto. And, and, you know, whenever people would come into town, people would show up and, and hang out with each other. And it was, for me, that was something that was so special to see how this continues to, to grow and get better. And I mean, I almost, it's funny, I was actually thinking the other day about how when I saw you in Chicago, Sid, with all those other crews from all over the country. And I was like, man, this is special that, you know, and, and most of it was, it was, it was extremely diverse. It was, it was probably the minority were, I think were white runners at this kind of meetup that happened in Chicago. And that was, you know, something that was, was special to see that the sport has just gotten so diverse and that these communities are, are connected and, and hoping that, you know, this, as it continues to grow, people continue to work with each other because I truly believe that you can bring in even more people into the fold when these groups kind of combine brain power to make a, a big splash. And I mean, the difference between Boston running and LA running is astronomical. <laughs> uh, I think, I think, I mean, you're, you, you guys are doing a great job as the pioneers. Like you guys are, I mean, you said it, the most diverse running community in Boston and, you know, said you think about when we started running that didn't exist in boston and, and those are things that we would talk about all the time yeah. and and so i mean i dude i guess so i get so hyped to to see pioneers continuing to thrive in what you guys are doing in the community in la i remember the first run i went to it was with a koreatown run club and not knowing much about anything in in running in la uh just showing up i saw everybody there was all colors, shapes, and sizes to the point where I, I think I just like, I kind of was like, what? Like everybody's here. <laughs> uh, it, was just, it was just representation, like everybody, and everyone was just cool and just interconnected. And and I mean, you saw it was literally all walks of life, right? LA is this city that just has everything. I mean, there was a guy with green hair, and there was you know, it was just a, a whole community of all walks of life where, you know, as I started to meet more and more people, you got a, a marine biologist, you have a rapper, you have a doctor, you have, you know, someone that is a producer, music, actors, actresses, but everyone, this is one, and you wouldn't know who's who, right? Someone could be running a whole production studio, but they're just running with this group, and it's just all love. And that was really, really special to, to be a part of when I moved here. But even still, there was a, you know, a discrepancy where there there still weren't certain groups that weren't as represented. So you didn't see as many black women. You didn't see as many uh, even black black men. There there were a good amount, but you know you knew there could be more. And yeah. over time, uh, in my two and a half years in LA, there's been so many other groups that have popped up. And you know there's a, one group that's predominantly black, and it started mm -hmm. in uh, South Central LA, mm -hmm. and I remember meeting him before he started the group and he's like, I'm going to start a run club. And I was like, cool. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I barely knew the guy. I was like, all right, man, like, cool, do your thing. And then, you know, a month later, he has like 70 people at his run. And I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> and, and then to see it continue and continue and to have been a part of, of the growth and to have seen it firsthand, uh, it's, it's special that, you know, there, there's still opportunity for other groups to come up and, and, and kind of represent their area, but then still be connected to the overall group. Um, and I think, you know, the last piece I'll say is just 
the connection of, of the community, specifically in LA, where I know when I did get here, there were certain groups that didn't mess with each other. And if you ran with this group, it was like, you know, taboo to be seen with the other group. And uh, I think it was LA Marathon a year or two ago, there were like maybe 10 to 12 groups that all showed up for this event. And every single leader from each group spoke about, you know, how proud they were of their runners that are training for this and just talking about representing L.A. as a collective. And then to see, you know, New York, I felt has kind of led the way or kind of been in the forefront of the the running community. And to see people from New York speak on what's happening in L.A. and how that was special and how they want something like that to happen in New York. I think was was powerful uh and i mean i feel like all of us are are just getting started um and so it's it's i mean i can't wait to see it and this is something i'll always be a part of so i'm hearing you're saying that you don't that it's still growing like we're (laughs) we're still at the cusp of growth that's good to hear um so i wanted to actually touch upon you said that there was one group uh in la that's majority people of color um, and I want to kick this this question over to Elise. Um, getting heavy pretty quickly here. Like, is running accessible to communities of color? Ooh, Sue's coming at me with the fire <laughs> questions already. Okay. Um, oh, I've been thinking about this so much. And first of all, Jarek, I think it's so cool for me to hear your experience happening in this community in LA. I think that like. It makes me want to hit up, hit up LA and, and check out their community there to learn and grow and see how they've evolved to be like that. Um, Listen, every year here, I will take you guys wherever. All right. Okay. Let's go. Once the coronavirus is over, yeah. Sid, let's hop on a plane and, and hang out over there. My dad lives in San Diego. <laughs> all right, Dominique, let's all go. We'll all take a little trip. We'll take some notes um, and it'll be really great. Um, but to answer your question, Sid, about accessibility and inclusivity. I think that each of us have kind of talked already about the importance of representation. Representation matters. I'm just going to say that because it does. Um, From my side, I've talked to Sid about this a lot recently because I work in the mental health field, right? And we talk a lot about stigma associated with mental health, especially stigma for people of color, accessing mental health. There's also a heavy stigma associated with running for communities of color. And I think that as I kind of ask why that is and what prevents people from running, I think that I used to hear people say all the time that, oh, like running is the easiest sport to get into. You just need a pair of shoes, you lace up and you just go run around the sidewalks. Like it's accessible, right? Like anybody could do that. You don't gotta pay for a gym membership. You don't gotta pay for a sports team club membership. And I used to think like, yeah, you're right. Like you could just go and run. But I realized the more that I unpack kind of that reality is that is not most people's reality, especially in communities of color. I think the biggest reason for that, just from my perspective, is the representation piece. It's intimidating to be in spaces where you're the only person who looks like you. And each of us have kind of hit on that a little bit already because we know what that feels like, right? Like people don't have to call you like slander words or the N word to like feel offended or to feel not welcome somewhere. But we all know what those looks look like. We know when you're not welcome somewhere and when you feel like you don't belong. And for me, when I think about running, I think that, okay, yes, theoretically, it's easy to just go and run. But when you don't feel safe and when you don't feel included by the community, 
that's a big problem. And I think that keeps a lot of people from running. And then also, I mean, I live here in Roxbury in Boston, which the Boston Marathon does not come through <laughs> um, for a reason, I think. But uh, Roxbury doesn't have the best reputation when it comes to community safety. Um, and some people don't feel great about running around the sidewalks by themselves in communities that aren't safe. And to me, that's like another layer on layer of reasons why that is. We could probably have a whole podcast talking about just that. Um, but I think that, you know, when we just assume that people have the privilege of living in spaces and communities that are safe to run, I think we're missing the picture. Um, yeah. Dominique, do you have something to well add? Well said, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually throw it to Dominique, but before I do, I, I kind of want to give DC some love because LA and New York definitely leading the way. Um, but I want to say that the reason why I even started Pioneers was I went to DC for a weekend and met District Running Collected and I was like, yo, yeah. I gotta do this in Boston. And that was, you know, after I had seen other communities, but um, DC needs to, needs to get the love. Um, and I want to kick it over to Dominique because you in in dc was the first time i actually saw a majority only majority black and brown running group uh, and so i wanted to see what your thoughts were about the accessibility and then i'll probably want to add a bit um around like the class aspect of it too like um certain yeah. class of people so go ahead absolutely so obviously dc is a little different right so used to be coined chocolate city not so chocolate anymore but um it's a it's just a different city to live in, obviously, as we have more people of color in a smaller space. Um, so running with District Running Collective, it has been amazing to literally just be surrounded, swarmed by men, women, all ages, all paces, all sizes um, that look like you, right? And so that created another way and more kind of fire under a lot of us, especially for one girl to be able to say, hey, this is something unique that we have in, in DC, but it, you don't find that anywhere else, right? Like I literally have a whole entire crew of majority black people and the minority people are white. No, you know, and so at least you said it perfectly, the access to be able to feel safe in a space that you want to improve your wellness is something that a lot of people don't think about. Yes, sneakers, great, you don't need to buy equipment to run, but that's not the daily runner's thought. Am I okay in this neighborhood? What time of day do I need to run? Um, do I need to go into a, a different part of the city to run? Um, or do I feel comfortable wearing what I wear? Or, you know, there's so many things that prevent people from just getting out the door. And realizing that and kind of giving resources to educate and talk about that and realizing I'm not the only one who feels this way. Or, you know, someone else feels that way too, let's link up and figure this thing out together is extremely important. And at least I, I just want to double tap everything you were saying, you know, because it's true um, that safe space is what needs to continue to be created. Um, and yes, we're doing it ourselves, but realizing it's, it's a bigger conversation. Again, we can go kind of deeper into that, but yeah. Well, what, what, um, so, when I think of creating um, a space for people of color, um, what I've seen in Boston specifically is that like class matters in terms of like where you are along the poverty line. Um, and Boston's a very segregated city, um, probably most segregated in the country. Um, and most of the people of color in the city live in poverty or, or at the poverty line. So the, the struggles and, and difficulties that I've had 
in starting a and, and running a a, a community uh, running community that is um, for Black and Brown people is actually pulling those people out of their homes and into these spaces. Um, L.A. is a transient city. D.C. is a transient city. Um, and I see that class often plays a major role because a lot of these people, when we, we have a running group that starts at 7.30 at night, 6.30 at night, um, you know, people work in two to three jobs. They got kids. They don't have babysitters. Um, so does that either one of you or anyone want to touch upon like your experience in, in, in seeing where that might, might also have an effect? I'm um, seeing that, you know, uh, black people in this country are, are um, typically on the, on the poorer side as a majority. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. And uh, I would reiterate both things that Elise and Dom mentioned. They they are absolutely true. And uh, funny, actually, when I started running, I was working for a nonprofit and I worked with high school student athletes. And I would always encourage my students to come and run. And my I was at Boston inner city school, Boston public school, where it was majority, you know, black and brown students. And I mean, the overlap of, of when I started running and when I was still working there was, you know, at least six to eight months and not once did a student come. And these are students that have great relationships with but they didn't come because they saw pictures and it was majority white and literally had students say, Mr. Walker, I'm not trying to run with all those white people, uh, you know, and, or two, where, where these runs were happening were in Newberry Street. And for them, like Newberry Street is this unattainable. I mean, I remember growing up in Boston. I just, I never even felt I had a reason to go to Newberry Street because I couldn't afford anything on Newberry Street. So what business do I have there? And then yeah you said it if if you live in some of these communities you you might not feel safe running or like you said said absolutely not have time to run a lot of these kids that i was trying to get into running too also had jobs that they had to go to they didn't necessarily have the option to not work after school because they are also helping support their families um and it's i mean and the stigma you said it like if you don't uh, you know, I, I believe that if you can't see it, you can't be it. And, you know, out, outside of myself, there weren't at that many others uh, that looked like me that were kind of in this, especially, you know, when, I, when I'm thinking back to 2014, 2015 uh, timeframe. Nice. Um, I want to hop uh, and head back to Elise about um, the effects of running uh, on your mental health. Um, so beyond kind of like what running looks like, um, for people, um, how do you, uh, being that you work with, with the youth, um, uh, as an advocate, how do you see, or what's your, what are your thoughts on how running, um, either could help, um, mental health, um, or, um, or how it's related and, um, and what can you say about that? Sure. I, I think I, I get so excited thinking about how my professional world, which has always been interested in mental health for young people, and my like side gig volunteer hangout stuff with pioneers are intersecting because I really believe that to run and to be in charge and to manage a running program and organization, it's important to remember how running is health. And I think Jared talked about running being a therapeutic outlet for him. I think anyone, any of us who are honest with ourselves who run realize like just getting out there, getting in the fresh air, seeing your surroundings, zoning out, kind of having that space to decompress um, 
is so healing. And to me, I think that when we're talking about making running accessible to communities of color, there's so many intersections and possibilities of how to improve and to grow upon that because we know that health outcomes for people of color are not great. I work at Brigham and Women's Hospital at the Center for Community Health and Health Equity. And since I've been there, I've learned so much about racial disparities when it comes to health. And it's a hospital, of course, so you're thinking about kind of traditional physical health. Um, but I can't ignore the reality of, of the mental health benefits of running. And so I think so much about, okay, like we know that people of color have worse health, health outcomes. Like look at the coronavirus. We know that people of color are more heavily impacted for a reason. We know that people of color have higher mortality rates. We know that people of color are more susceptible for diseases, diabetes, heart disease, cancer. Why is that? How do we attack that? How do we approach that? Um, and I think running has a huge potential to be a powerful solution, but we know that systems work best when we design them for the people who are marginalized and the people who are at the bottom. And I don't think running's designed for us. Um, and I think about that a lot and I think about how to change that and what the benefits of that could be because we know that communities thrive when people are healthy, when people are safe, when people feel connected. And the running community is such an interesting blend, right? And I see every day more and more correlations of how these, all these things that we're talking about are intersecting. And so I think there's, a, there's steps in the right direction. I think it gives me a lot of hope to see more diversity and inclusivity in the running community, um, but it still doesn't hit for most people. Um, and I think that it's, it's uh, really, really, something that weighs heavy on my heart because I see, because I feel it, because I've witnessed it, because I've experienced how running has benefited my health and, and the health of my community at Pioneers. And every day we hear testimonies about how the community is one part, right? The socialization part of running is huge and helping people to feel empowered, to feel seen, to feel, to feel heard but also like you're literally running, like your heart is pumping, your body is moving, you're getting out there. We live in such a sedentary lifestyle and society that running is like combating and has this opportunity to address all of these health outcomes. Um, and that's why I think we need to, we need to ripple, we need to spread, we need to make it inclusive because I believe that if we did more of that, that we would see lots of changes in communities, not just on the health level, but when people are healthy, we know that they thrive in lots of other areas. Absolutely. Uh, Dominique, you want to add anything? Sure. I was just, you know, admiring everything that Lisa <laughs> say. Um, but I think also, yes, when obviously, as has been said multiple times, representation matters. When you think of long distance running, you literally think of, everyone will say, you know, white man, split shorts, um, and you don't think of us. Look at the four of us, right? Look what we've done, look what, we, what we've ran and our clubs and our friends who also run. Um, we are also runners. And I think we need to change the definition of what a runner is, who a runner is, right? It, again, all paces, all sizes, all looks, um, we are runners and we need to continue to tell our stories um, so that the broader stage can now accept what we are, what we bring to the table. And instead of us, 
going to, you know, a different community to run, these resources are now coming to us because mm -hmm. we know matter. You know, we also bring more um, to that table as well. So I think that's our, our biggest thing is providing resources. And again, there's so many things that we tackle. I'm going to go back to women and, you know, we have so many excuses as to why we don't do certain physical activities, you know, whether we work out, you know, around our hair schedule, which is very real um, for black women. Okay. <laughs> we could speak know, to that. Like, Jerry and I had long hair for a while. It, but it's real, you know, like if I get my hair done on a Saturday. I might not run until the next Friday. You know, I need to keep it, but that's also not improving our health. Right. Um, and so we, want to make sure that we're providing resources so that we are eliminating excuses so that we can be a healthier community. Um, and so in doing so through running, and I think that's, we need to keep doing that, keep connecting, um, like Jarek said, you know, and keep, keep providing each other those resources. I'm going to, um, go ahead, Jarek. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and, and there are, because there are more and more of these communities and more and more of these communities that have, dealt with different things or have, uh, you know, found solutions in different ways, the more that we can connect, the more that we can spread the learnings of DC into LA and New York into, or in Boston and into New York, uh, or to even encourage other people to uh, start their own thing as well in, in their respective cities. And, you know, seeing, something like you know being born and raised in boston and seeing something like the pioneers exist is really really special even though i can't touch it as much as i want to because i'm across the country it's it's really really special to me to see that like people from my community running together and i know that there are friendships that are that have been built partnerships where i'm sure people have collaborated in some way through work but then also that people are just have have a community around them and that i mean you know even we look at this time right now where we're all social distancing community is so much more important than than ever and and, and really in a way to to maintain that headspace and so i i mean ev everyone is is preaching here and I'm, I'm about to jump out of my seat because i i get like i said i, I get excited because i know that it's only going to continue to move forward. I mean, just the fact that something like this is happening right now, there's going to be someone, multiple people that hear this and will be inspired or will spark a conversation or will come to a run at the pioneers and just see a, a, the other, you know, a different side that maybe they aren't accustomed to. And the more that young people or someone that, you know, doesn't even live close to us can see this. And yeah, I mean, Dom, you said it, that, you know, sharing more and more of these stories, it will help spread the love. And, and, and that's like, I just, I think love and running is synonymous with me and, and it, it will spread more and more if we just keep doing these things. Yeah, I can, so I can relate quickly on two points. Um, the mental health part of it is uh, for me, the reason why I got into running um, and the reason why I found running at, when Jarek was doing it was because I had quit my career. Um, I was, I was a, a PwC for six years and then I just literally quit. Um, and I found myself in a very, very tough space mentally where I was trying to become an entrepreneur and I was struggling with self-doubt um, and just, you know, the things that entrepreneurs struggle with. And running was just, was just my outlet. Um, and it was so important for me at that time. And then through that, I wanted to spread it and share it with people 
who looked like me and I wanted, cause I knew the benefits, but the problem was they wouldn't come to my, to where I was doing it. And so then I had to bring it to them. Um, so cre- creating that community um, w- was difficult and it continues to be difficult um, in Boston because of, seg- of the segregation also because um, of the accessibility um, issues that we've talked about. Um, but it's still very important. Um, and then uh, the other thing that, 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 continues to bug me and I, I want to get your, uh, your, your thoughts, the group's thoughts on this is um, anytime you look at any race, no matter what level, um, what, what speed or, or, um, or what distance, the people who are winning the races look like us. But the people who are coaching, the people who are telling you how to do it, they don't look like us. Why is that? And why are we saying we have to re- redefine what a runner looks like when everyone who wins a race looks like us? It's not fair to say everybody's saying. <laughs> <Majority>. <laughs> I'm saying. But we know. We've all seen those Kenyans run. They'd be like doing the splits in between every stride. Like, <laughs> you know, like how, where's the disconnect where is that a part of how, you know, society kind of tells stories? Like we are these phenomenal runners. But then like us as Americans are told that we're not runners. Like how was that disconnect? How does potentially white supremacy play into that role and like what are your thoughts on that you know because it, it, it really bugs me mm-hmm. you're going deep yeah real, we real, should real deep <laughs> real deep right um, be, because we're at a certain time in, in history where like we are on this move right we are uh, at a pivotal moment in um in racial justice work and um and just potential social change so it's important to have these conversations um i'm having them all the time jerry and i had one so um this is the reason why i'm putting that here right on the stage at the boston marathon and i want really want to get your thoughts so go ahead um go ahead nick um i'll start off super short um and then i'll let everyone else talk um so things are done for a reason um i think institutions are built on a premise um of who is supposed to be superior and who kind of is supposed to kind of come out on top. Yes, we see um, a lot of uh, people from African countries, you know, one, two, three, in a lot of these marathon races. But I think some of the conversation that I think we are having as a whole is that, yes, we, we as in the, um, kind of the elite runners will kind of get there. But there's more to that because I'm not considered an elite runner. Um, but the majority of us runners, the everyday runner, I'll say, um, are not shown, right? So a huge, huge um, issue was raised um, with a lot of magazines that give resources to tell stories of runners, flip through covers of months, of years. It's very hard, very few of people that you see look like us on that, right? And those, those publications those resources are meant for that everyday runner. So yeah, you'll talk about the coaches and those people who are kind of like, hey, you know, I succeeded in X, Y, Z, but it's not our stories. And it's, I think that's why I said, you know, let's, it's time to redefine what that is. And by doing so, we need to continue, continue to continue to connect with one another, share our stories, share resources with one another using our platforms because now you know we're social media is huge right so we all have something we all have followers we all have people who look to us for something and using that platform for that um to enhance our stories to enhance um, our visibility is is important 
anyone want to add to that? You know, I, I mean, I, uh, one thing that, I mean, first of all, I agree. Uh, second, like, I think when you look at any sport, right, um, all the sports that exist, they were all, they all looked very much one way for a long time before integration started to happen. And some sports got completely dominated by, you know, black and brown people. And there were other sports that just didn't necessarily get there. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about is, you know, we talked about access. And if you think about what our access has always been like in the US, for the most part, where we were living, it didn't afford you necessarily the opportunity to be able to run at home. Um, I also, having worked at inner city schools in Boston, these kids shared a track with every other high school and colleges, the Reggie Lewis Center. And so most of these, most of the kids that ran track at the school where I worked, they ran track in the hallways of the school building. And, and so that's not going to, you know, necessarily push the needle forward if that is the case for, you know, a lot of black and, you know, speaking about Boston specifically, but just knowing that inner city schools in most cities typically don't have the most resources. And that is something that will just, you know, it, it just continues and continues and continues their courts. And look what, look, look, you know, what happens with basketball, you know? And so uh, it's, that's the way that, that I see it. And yeah, if, if we can afford to create a, a, you know, at least have a couple more tracks for Boston public schools to use. And even when they use this, the, the track, it is nuts. Even when they use the track, they might have 15 minutes on it before another school comes, before a college comes and they're about to compete. And so, I mean, running in the hallway, and <laughs> I would literally have to jump out of the way because I'm still in the building working and kids are running, you know, they're, they're trying to do their track thing in the school. And so it, when, when more resources can be provided, I think we can see that number change a lot. Uh, but uh, until then, I think we, we are kind of still fighting this fight. And uh, I, I do believe that the more of these groups that exist, it, it adds this cool element to running that also uh, hopefully can, maybe it'll track the runner, maybe not necessarily track, but that you know, person that likes to run for leisure or that person that is training for these races. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's been years of, of this, of, of us not necessarily having, like unless you went to a private school in Boston, you probably didn't have a track to run on. That, that was yours, you know? Elise, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> um, I appreciate Jarek talking about um, kind of the importance of resources, and and also when we're talking about making running exclusive, inclusive, um, how important it is to engage youth. And that example of the hallways is like really powerful. Um, and some of the students who I work with who attend Boston Public Schools are those kids who run in the hallways. Um, but I did want to go back, Sid, do you mind just repeating your original question? Because there was something in there that stuck out to me, but I just got so engulfed in 
unique and shared so, responses that I'd lost track. Sure. So the, uh, the original question was, um, being that most people who win these races, like, be you know, it, whether you're on the track or in distance, um, look like us. But then why is it that the people who are coaches and um, people who are running the organizations where they're promoting running, whether it be media um, or, um, or, or, you know, or, or, or coaching, why do they not look like us? Like, and why are we being told that we can't be runners when the people who are winning um, these races are look like us? Yeah, wow. That makes me think of a lot of things. I think that, like Nick described, the, the runners who are winning those races that you're describing, those elite athletes who are a lot of the times from Africa, um, just have a very different story of running than I think most people in the United States do. And um, maybe that's a generalist statement. It's not fair. But at the same time, I think that um, when, when you describe like coaches or leaders or kind of the people who are running at the top level, these running organizations um, that may not be people of color, I think that just comes back to uh, this lack of representation. But if we're going to take it even like deeper than that, we know that systems across sports in our country are led by folks who are white um, and running is no different than that. And maybe we could unpack why that is. That might be another podcast. Um, but at the same time, I think that um, it just it just speaks to the reality that I think that people in, in the running community and other sports communities, um, how they view athletes of color. Um, and sometimes it makes me really uncomfortable because I think that we're kind of known to be a bit tokenized, to be like, I don't want to call it show horses, but people like to watch people of color compete at high levels um, as an entertainment thing. Um, and so there's that aspect of it. But um, when you're not, like <laughs> Nick said, I'm not a, like, I was just an average runner. When you're not at that level, then it's easy to kind of have the blind eye turned towards you. Um, because I know I've been in spaces, I've been at races where I know that the people who are attending probably love sports. They love the Patriots. They love the Red Sox and they love supporting like elite athletes. But when me and my friends who might look like me show up in a space, it's like some heads might be turned, some looks might be shot. Um, because it's a different, it's a different level of competition and I think that some people um, aren't as accepting as that as they are of watching these kind of entertaining level athletes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, let's we can lighten the mood a bit. Um, what are we excited about? What are our running goals um, as we get into the kind of the back half of 2020? Hopefully, we can you know get out there and, and uh, I'm not sure you know what what it's going to look like, but like what are our running goals? Um, for, for each of us. I'll start with Dominique. Well, um, so I refuse to let the quarantine 15 happen to me. So I've been uh, working out a lot. <laughs> okay, like, okay. I've been working out a lot. Um, and it has kind of been a little bit devastating when you, when you feel like, oh, this is going to be my really great race you know, season and you're amping up or, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do one marathon a year and this is going to be it. And then it's like, womp, womp, no. And then one by one, all of these races were canceled and it's just like, I finally got in and I can't run. Um, 
So I, I don't know. I, unlike a lot of other people, I've enjoyed the kind of at-home workouts, but I am now training for a virtual 19K. Um, I'm actually really excited, which is weird because I, if anyone knows me, I am really bad at sticking with training plans. Um, uh, <laughs> like I'm good two weeks and I'll be like, I'll do my own thing here and there. Um, <laughs> last summer was my first time doing a kind of a full training plan with DRC uh, for the Marine Corps Marathon. And so doing it again, part two for the virtual race has really like, has been good. It feels good to be back in and kind of regimented, you know? Um, you know, yeah. So virtual race and I've been doing all of the challenges. Um, anyone throws my way on these apps, on the running apps. So if you find me, challenge me, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, Jarek, have you been running, Jarek? What are your um, – oh, no longer around running. <laughs> why do people always ask me this, man? Like, like I'm a pretender. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I, did, I did take a break. Uh, after I stopped working and running, I took a break. And it was more because I, I just – I was like, all right, let me stop running for a little bit because I kind of just didn't want to see people. Um, I was like, I need some alone time. And I know that if I go and run, I'm just going to be, I'll be there. I'm typically the guy that's like there until like the last person like leaves the run group. Um, and so I uh, kind of took a break uh, towards the end of last year. And then honestly, right as I was kind of getting back, back into it, that was when uh, COVID hit in full force. And I've, I've been running here and there actually like by myself um, and around, around, my area. Uh, I'm not necessarily training for anything, but I'm, I'm definitely, I'm training for life. Uh, I, I would say I'm just, you know, trying to get back in shape. Um, you know, I, I, could, I could still hold my own out there. You know, I was always a, I was a football player. So, you know, whenever I need to get quick, watch yourself, but you know, I want to make sure that I can, you know, run a 5k nice and nice, nice and smooth and easily, um, and, and continue to be able to have conversations. So that way when the world does, open back up, I can go get back into my kind of community runs. Uh, I haven't run a race in a long time, but I, I just, I mean, I've, I feel like I'm just a, a community runner and that's, that's kind of always what, that was what stemmed it. Um, you know, I got a few races under my belt, but I just, I just, I just, enjoy, I just enjoy running with the community, you know? And so, um, as long as I'm in shape to do that, you know, if you're so far in the back, you can't talk to anybody. So that is just, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not there. Hear that. Elise? Yeah, I, I've really been in a funk since quarantine hit when it comes to running. I feel like, I felt like breaking up with running a couple times. I was like, I think I might be over you. Like, <laughs> it's because it wasn't, I wasn't feeling it the same way that I used to just like, you know most breakups I lead to. Uh, but we came around, we reconciled, we're good now. Um, but part of that, I think for me was like, just the anxiety about running, um, especially in, you know, April, May, when I was really cautious about staying at home and not wanting to be around other folks. And just being a community runner, like Jerick is saying, like using and thriving off of the community and not having that um, was really, really tough for me. And I think that like, any like site that I used to have about goals of like things that I wanted to get done just kind of like <laughs> floated away a little bit. And so um, now I think that um, last month pioneers did this 
one mile, quick mile training plan where we timed ourselves at the beginning of the plan, followed a plan. And like Nick said, like I'm also not a great plan follower. Like I just kind of make it up as I go most of the time, but I did follow this plan that um, one of our coaches at Pioneer set out for us. And it was just fun to train for the one mile. I'd actually never raced a one mile before. Um, and that was so cool. Like our team had what said like 12 runners come who all did the training plan and every single one of us PR'd, which wow. was incredible. And especially, you know, living in this very strange time. Um, and moving forward, I think that sort of like Jarek, I definitely am not registered for any races right now and don't have my side on um, any PRs this year, which feels kind of weird because I usually start like, like Neek said, 2020 felt like such a fun year. Like we're going to take over the world, but instead the world take over us. Like, <laughs> um, but I think that something that I've really enjoyed, especially now that we have our in-person runs with pioneers back is just supporting the community. And to me, like my running goal is just to run with people who are new to running and help them feel included, help them feel welcome, help them kind of break any ice that might, uh, prevent them from accessing running. And so I think my, my intention of usually setting goals for myself has shifted. And now I've seen myself kind of getting excited about these kind of more outward goals. Um, like Jarek said, I do like to try to keep up with the fast folks every once in a while, just to make sure I'm still in okay shape. But um, yeah, I think that this year I've kind of for been forced in a lot of ways to just think about other people more about more than myself and, and, I never thought I'd say like a running goal was just to support and be with other runners, but I think that's something I'm really enjoying right now. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I do think that could change, you know, like, you know, because I, I do just, just listening to Elise, I'm like, man, you know, I'm, I'm completely understanding everything that she's saying, but I feel that when the community is back together, uh, I can see that perhaps influencing training for something or you know bringing back that kind of competitiveness to it because yeah, when i'm running by myself like if i'm competing with anything it's like can i get back in time to watch my show like you know like that that that's it um one time i tried to beat postmates and i did um but <laughs> <laughs> other than that though like yeah i just haven't had the urge to compete uh, <laughs> I yeah, think. I totally relate to that. And it feels weird. This is like a super weird chapter of my life because I'm mm -hmm. super competitive. Like, Sid sees me. Like, yeah. But I think my competitive edge is just like on standby. Like, it's going to come back, but it's just like sitting over here right now because I think I'm just trying to adapt in a way that doesn't feel like it's going to drain me or frustrate me. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a weird, weird time, but. I still have, I still got goals. I want to, I run a, run a half marathon with Sid one day. I want to PR in the 5k one day. It'll happen. So being that we are uh, on the live stage at the Boston marathon, the 2020 Boston marathon, what are some, um, some last minute or some uh, last few words you give to the, to the runners of the virtual race this year, being that we, the, the race is totally virtual. I know three of the four of us are actual marathoners. At least you're still holding out. We'll get you on a marathon soon. Um, but like, what what's what's um what what do you what, what could you say to the runners who are taking it on virtually this year? Just a uh, quick, quick tidbit. Uh, what was that, uh, Nick? Run your own race. So good. I like that. That is it. 
That's all you're going to say. This, this is what I'm hit you with. Because the first thing that came to my mind was how I felt afterwards. And there was one place that I forgot to put my body glide on. And that was my <laughs> butt cheeks. And when I took a shower after my marathon, I screamed. <laughs> like, surprised nobody came busting in the door to, like, make sure I was okay. Like, I... it. If if you if you got a little bit back there, body glide it up, man. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, that that's I want I want you to know that. Definitely run your own race. That is real, um, and you know just enjoy it. Like have a good time. Um, you know even if you know there's nothing wrong with being competitive, but there's also just nothing wrong with in, enjoying the moment. This is a big deal. Something that you're doing that not a lot of people have done, uh, and it's, it's an amazing feat when, when you finish it. Uh, I almost broke down into tears right when I crossed the finish line, but I kept it together because there was a lot of strangers outside that I didn't know. And I just, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, well, wasn't sure. I didn't feel that they were ready or deserving to see my tears. And so I kept it for myself, but have a good time. That, you know, that, that's the, the most important thing. Awesome. Well, I wanted to think. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Lee. Sorry, I don't not mean to cut you off. I know. Uh, I just said you got. You got no, no. Ahead. You already, you already put me on blast for not being a marathon. I said like. <laughs> that, that's that's called inspiration. I'm trying to inspire you to become uh, one. I I literally right now like, I believe that not every runner has to be a marathoner, personally. So I kind of like lean into that kind of deep. So I'm like, every time somebody tries to get me to run a marathon, I'm like, no, like that's not my thing. <laughs> um, but you know, life changes, I change. Um, but, but to kind of think about advice to give to marathoners, first of all, I can't relate because I have never done the race before, but I have an enormous amount of respect for anybody who's crossed that distance. Um, I just know from, from all of our friends and people who I know who were planning to run the in-person race, had these plot twists, now are having to experience a race that's so different than what you had mentally prepared for. Um, for people who are still out there and doing it and making it happen regardless, you are amazingly mentally strong. And I think that when you may have those moments that say, oh, I wish I could have, should have, would have done it so I could be in person. Um, I just encourage people to, to keep leaning into those positive thoughts while you're out there because it, the energy is going to be different than when we're in person. But um, to kind of plan what Jarek shared for his story, like, if you finish your marathon virtually and you got to break down and cry, there's not going to be strangers around. Like, just let it out. Like, be proud of yourself. Just cry. Just do your thing. Celebrate. Scream. Whatever you need to do to let that energy out because you don't have to worry about people judging you. <laughs> um, so that's what I would say. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to my guests for, um, for joining me on the stage here. It's an honor to share the stage with each of you. Um, last bit, where can we find you on social media if we wanted to go look for you? Um, we can start with, uh, with Neek sure, so and your organization. So is uh, Neek underscore Knack underscore, and you can follow Run Girl at Run Girl Co um, or www.RunGirl.co, R-U-N-G-R-L. Nice. That's not the first time she said that. She sounds so cute when she... <laughs> Um, people can find me at, at Elisa's pieces on Instagram and, um, our pioneers run crew site is at pioneers RC. If you want to follow the run crew and learn more about what we're doing in Boston. 
and you can follow me at Jarek double underscore J-A-R-I-C-K. For those of you that don't know, that's James and Patrick put together. My mom got fancy. But uh, I am not, you know, I don't currently run a run club. Who knows? Maybe that'll happen one day uh, again. But you can find me at Career Time Run Club, at uh, Keep It Run 100, anywhere in these streets in L.A., uh, and best believe when I'm in Boston, I'll be with the Pioneers. And when I'm in D.C., I'm going to holler at Dom and be like, yo, where do I run? Awesome. Um, well, thanks again. My name is Sidney Baptista, host of the Fitness in Color podcast, founder of Pioneers. You can find me at SidBap. Um, and thank you. Enjoy the race. Good luck to all the marathoners. You got it. Good luck. Yeah, you got it. We'll be yeah. cheering for you right there. Okay. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a quick review. This helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it with them. That wraps up today's show. Thank you, and I'll see you on the next episode.